Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. In the world of apparel and accessories, Sequential Brand is one of the largest scale licensing companies with an extensive portfolio of famous brands across multiple industries. And today's guest, Lauren McLaughlin, seems to manage it all. Welcome, Lauren. So glad to have you join us. Thank you for having me on today. I'm glad to be here. And happy belated birthday to you. (laughs) Thank you. So I just, you know, obviously my first question for contacts, you, it appears you have, you know, worked your way up through the ranks um, as digital assistant and now you're senior marketing manager or director, sorry, at Sequential. What was the journey like? How did you get to this role? Because I know that that could not have come easy for you. Yes. Um, I started, uh, as you mentioned, I started at Martha Stewart Living, back known as Martha Stewart Living on the media um, when I was 22, right out of college. It was my dream job. I I joked that I would have worked there for free, but luckily I didn't have to. And I had such an incredible boss there that was really just the definition of a mentor and helped guide me into new roles and help me rise up throughout the company. Something I always tell our interns is that starting as an assistant is a great thing, not something that you should balk at because it gives you such access to leaders within the company that you can really interact and learn with. And my most exciting kind of pivotal role that happened at Martha that helped me rise up was about five to six years ago before influencer marketing had really caught on. And my boss at the time called me into her office and told me about this influencer program that uh, Fortune was doing and thought it would be such an incredible concept for MarthaStewart.com. We were thinking of it as a way for us to really create high quality content at scale and give our readers fresh content while also helping us improve our SEO ranking. So she ended the conversation by asking me if I wanted to start that program for Martha Stewart and Martha Stewart weddings. And I remember leaving her office and feeling like I was going to pass out. I was so terrified. So we, um, we called it the Contributor Network at Martha. We kicked it off that year and ended up growing it to 75 plus contributors um, within the year for both Martha Stewart and Martha Stewart weddings. Um, And that really helped me with my growth and helped me get more recognition within the organization. And that was about five years ago. So a year later, Sequential purchased Martha Stewart, and I was offered a role in brand management and marketing for a few of our fashion brands. And I stayed with the company for another year and had um, an opportunity come up to leave about three years ago. Um, I went to the media side of things at Urban Daddy, if you're familiar. It was a fun organization to work for, very startup vibe, even though they've been around for 11 years at the time, and very boys club. And it was interesting because I was able to be on the media side of things, selling as opposed to purchasing. So it gave me a good insight into that side of the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I left sequential on great terms. And I always said, if a role opened up at a more director level, I would love to come back. And seven months later, I was back. So I worked as the director of marketing for our active brands, which is Gaim, Avia, and And One for about a year. And then just about two years ago, 
I was given the role of Senior Director of Marketing for our Fashion Division. So that is my story. Congratulations. Bring up so many different things. The Martha Stewart team, there's several that I kind of have known forever, like Allison Hoffman and Vanessa Drossman. Oh, I love them. Yeah, me too. Allison. That's the best. They both are, and Alice and I have been friends for many years, so when you say that, but also when you talk about working somewhere and saying it's your dream job, my history is that I stalked Weight Watchers when they first launched their online, and like I always, it was my, I just loved working there, so definitely speaks to rising somewhere and just being passionate about a brand that you work with, so that's really exciting. Yeah, it was so it's an awesome place to work. That's good to know. So I know that you do a lot and I just, what does a day look like for you? Like, I, like how many brands are you managing and how do you do it all? <laughs> so there's a lot of brands in our fashion division. We have Joe's Jeans, William Rast, um, which is a men's and women's sportswear denim brand, Ellen Tracy, women's sportswear brand, Healy's, kids wheeled footwear and actually adults wheeled footwear too. Mm -hmm. Caribbean Joe, which is a um, women's, men's, kids, lifestyle, um, vacation brand. DVS, which is a uh, footwear, um, like skateboard culture brand. Um, Franklin Mint, which is a coin collecting brand. And then linens and things we recently have in our, our division. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I think I have not explained yet, so maybe it would be helpful. Sequential is a brand licensing company, so it means that we purchase the intellectual property of a brand and act as the brand owners, mm -hmm. and then we license out all the categories within the brand to our licensed partners so we can grow the business, distribution, and get new consumers. Um, I think I've mentioned to you and Craig in conversations before that the most simple terms of explaining it is that we buy really high quality, well-known lemons. And then we try to squeeze as much lemonade out of each one of them as possible. Uh, so for example, we purchased Joe's Jeans, Joe's Jeans five years ago. Mm -hmm. It was just women's and men's sportswear. And now we have kids clothes, we have women's shoes, small leather goods like wallets and belts, fragrances, we've um, expanded to international distribution. Um, so I explain that because it's um, the licensing model is a lean model as far as staffing goes. So for all the brands that I just talked about, we have about you know, six to seven. Oh, and Jessica Simpson's also in our division. I can okay. say that, but I don't work on that brand. Mm -hmm. We have about six to seven people that do everything from brand management, you know, keeping our licensees happy and making sure that they're staying true to our brand, marketing, and also expanding business into new categories with business development. So because of all of that, every day looks very, very different. You know, there could be one day where I'm in back-to-back -back meetings with our partners, our licensees to discuss new products that are coming to market, new retail stores we're launching with, and you know what our strategies are for the upcoming season. And another day, I could be up to my ears in an Excel document, updating the marketing spend for, for hours, and then jumping into agency partner meetings with our, our PR partners, our media, social partners. So um, every day is different. And I think that that's one of the best things about the job because you're never ever bored. Yeah, yeah, it sounds a little bit like my world at Weight Watchers, where it's a lot like dealing with franchises. Like you're making, you're balancing multiple stakeholders. And how do you make sure, like, you give every brand the love and attention they want, or is it just defined by how big that brand is? It's 
different based on um, each brand and, and their seasonality. So, you know, for example, Caribbean Joe's summer and resort is big, big time frame for them. But then our denim brands like Joe's Jeans and William Rath have a little bit of downtime in the summer months. So okay. we're able to balance it out by that. Um, and we focus all of our energy with our partners. You know, we try to give everyone some kind of attention and love, but um, we prioritize our partners by the kind of, you know, revenue and volume they bring in. So Ellen Tracy, the top six to seven partners that make up 80% of the business where we focus our efforts, even though there's 22 partners for Ellen Tracy. So um, it's, a, it's a juggling balancing act. And I think we've gotten into a good rhythm knowing who needs priority when and when things are very urgent and when things can wait two days. Um, mm -hmm. Feel it out that way. <laughs> yeah, I guess that must be really challenging. Like, how do they all approach influencer marketing? Are some brands more like, yes, we want to do it. And then it's not just the brand, but it's also like the manufacturer or the person, the company who's providing that product. So if it's fragrance, they might be all in. But then if it's shoes, they might not be. You know, we haven't found any of our partners that are not supportive of our influencer marketing initiatives. I think across the board, they agree with our approach that it is just a great way to get the product into hands of people using it in a really authentic way and creating content about it. You know, certain partners are more adamant about doing it and others think it's a great ad added value. You know, with our outerwear, we actually did that with you guys this uh, fall. Our Outerwear partner was launching at Nordstrom and, you know, Nordstrom has made a big push for their influencer partnerships. And so that was a, that was a, a definite that we were going to make sure that influencer marketing was incorporated into mm -hmm. our, our support of that outerwear business. Um, but I really haven't had any licensees or brands come and say that they were against it because there's really no negative if it's done well in a brand authentic way. And how do you go about, I mean, I think industries are very different. I know that with fashion, particularly in beauty, there's much more, um, you know, there's, there's much more stringent kind of regulations in terms of, or criteria in terms of selecting influencers. How do you, what kind of criteria do you look for? Is it like, are you looking for macros, micros, engagement? Like where do you, you know, kind of fit within that whole selection process? You know, as I mentioned, the list of all of our brands in the portfolio, a lot of them are really different from each other, whether it's in product and target audience and sales volume and where they're distributed. So we really like to approach each brand uniquely as far as who we're working with so that they're all truly authentic to that brand. But the things that we try to keep in mind when we're selecting them is first and foremost, as I mentioned, that they really represent the brand in in the base dna of the brand so for example with an alan tracy that we've worked with with you guys you know we want to make sure that we're working with women um that are relatable to our our woman a woman that she dresses sophisticated but she's approachable you know she's doing going from one activity to the next and wants to be comfortable but also fashion forward um that she's aspirational but conscious of spending um, and with a brand like Alan Tracy, we have a huge audience in Selk and Dillard's. So mm -hmm. we would try to make sure that we work with more Southern women that are living the day-to-day -day life that our woman is and that can really show them how they're styling their clothes, how they could, uh, you know, use a piece of Alan Tracy sportswear for the spring season, but then transition it well into summer. 
Um, so that's definitely important as far as the who we work with. Mm -hmm. As far as the size, I think that that's always dependent on budget. You know, I think that there's a benefit to both small and large influencers. I think we'd always wish to work with big names where we where we can because it helps with more getting in front of more people. But if it's just a purely content play and helping us create content to fill out our site and our social, then it's more about the who than the how big. But different brands have different budgets and also have different budgets on different seasons. You know, our, our denim, we would definitely spend more in the fall than we would in, in the spring. So that's, we kind of prioritize what we have going for the year on um, seasonality and product launches and figure out who we're going to work with from that, that lens. That makes sense. Um, one of the things that struck me in two comments that you made, you brought up Belk, which I just actually met with their agency when I was in Charlotte and Nordstrom. So oh. we're, yeah, and we're seeing a lot of companies asking us, can you help us like, so get, you know, that message out because our product is going to be in a retailer. What are some of the things, whether it's rating and reviews or anything that you've done to kind of whether, or it could be geo-targeting influencers, like what are some of the things that you've done to kind of move the needle and get that awareness in the specific store location or locations? As you mentioned, retailers, it's always a, an important thing for us to support, but also difficult as far as how we're measuring the success of that campaign because the majority of our brands do not have direct-to-consumer. They have largely a retail business. So all of the influencers that we're driving there with traffic and click-through, we really, we really have no insight into what the sales mm -hmm. actually amount to. You know, we measure success more on a click-through basis. I should also note that we actually don't work directly with the retailers. Our licensees are the ones that design, develop, distribute all of the product. Okay. So we're really relying on our licensees to be communicating regularly with the retailers and then um, translating that priority to us, whether it, you know, a certain new line that's coming out and they want to showcase the versatility of it or um, business. They really think that business is going to grow in X, Y, and Z area of the country. We should do a more geo-focused campaign or, um, you know, and we rely directly through them on it. Um, there are instances though, when we do get involved with the retailer and that's mostly for um, new product launches or if a brand is, is coming to a retailer for the first time. Um, our Ellen Tracy bedding, for example, is launching at Bed Bath & Beyond in February, which we're very excited about. And so that is an instance where the licensee really wants to put priority behind it and um, that we'll both be contributing to a spend to support that business. And so uh, we would communicate directly with the license uh, with the retailer in that instance that makes sense and congratulations on that launch thank you it's a great product you got to check it out yeah i want to see it you know betting is one thing but apparel with influencers is extremely picky uh, like hard because they're very picky oftentimes they want to pre-approve the merchandise that you send them and there's all kinds of sizing involved so what are some of the best practices that you use? Are you predetermining the merchandise? Do you allow the influencers to select? How do you deal with all the sizing? And, oh, I got this, but now it doesn't fit, or I don't like the color. Just any best practices when it comes to apparel? Yes, I think that somebody is going to invent a way to deal with this in an automated way. And I wish <laughs> I was going to be that person, because I think whoever 
does it is going to, you know, be the next Zuckerberg. But I, you know, ideally we'd like influencers to be able to select the products themselves so that they're mm-hmm. true to their style, what they feel great in, because it really shows, I think, um, in their content, if they feel comfortable in something and consumers are way smart enough to know when something is not, is not really truthful. Um, but that being said, there are definitely instances when we have something that's a priority focus that we that we want to make sure is represented in our campaign. So we usually give a number of selection, you know, priorities, and then we let them select. We have meticulous note keeping here of every sizing and things like that. You know, we're in the midst of a Caribbean joke campaign actually right now. And the sizing has been off because people thought they were different sizes than they were. And, you know, it's just, you know, you got to be focused on the details with that and making sure they get the right product because, again, the the content won't look, it won't look like they are happy if they don't fit well in the sizing. But the other element to our process is it's not just us that that is weighing in on it. It's also our licensees that so they have to say, you know, our biggest buy with X, Y, and Z retailer was you know, this category or this, this print and things like that, so that um, they really know where the, where the volume is going to be. So it's a partnership between the influencer agencies we work with that are the experts in that with us that are the experts on the brand mm-hmm. and with our licensees that are the experts on the product and the, and the health of the business at retail to come to a decision that hopefully makes everybody as happy as possible. It sounds like a lot of people to manage. It is. But I think that we've been lucky to work with influencers over the past you know, two years that really um, are easy to work with and excited about it and have no diva-esque qualities to them. So are always accommodating and pleasant, you know, when things, when their things go wrong, which things always go wrong at some point, that um, you just work together to fix it the best you can and as quickly as you can. I think that, you know, definitely a call out to that because, you know, you hear the horror stories about the influencers, but, you know, in our experience too, they, they don't typically go write something bad or, you know, get all nasty. They try to work in any way they can to help support and accommodate if something doesn't fit them or it's not the right, you know, cut or anything like that. So in terms of like campaigns that you've run or a collaboration that just jumps out at you, is there anything, or even like you did an influencer event, is there anything that you want to highlight that was just an incredible collaboration, whether it was with one or multiple influencers or? Yeah, well, I have two, two in particular. We worked with Daniel Bernstein of We Wore What um, for Capsule Collection this for Joe's Jeans this spring of 2019 and fall of 2019. Mm-hmm. And I really love what brands are doing with influencer collaborations for, from a capsule product collection because it's such a great opportunity for the influencer to be involved in the design process and really put their own touch to the brand's products. Um, and it's also a great way for a brand to create a sense of urgency, you know, through limited availability and, and you know, new product drops, you know, think of what something Navy did with Nordstrom. And so Daniel was with us for 2019 and her denim capsule of high-waisted jeans were just so gorgeous and they were really unique from other products that we had in line and very authentically her and of course her audience responded so well to that because it was clear she put her hand in the design process and she was super vocal about celebrating it so that was one great partnership for um, our brand 
last year. And then one of my favorite things that we did is more of a throwback. Gaiam, which is a yoga brand uh, mm-hmm. when I, in our active division. I was working on it when about two years ago. And it's a brand that really has, you know, a quote unquote cult-like following in the yoga world just because it's really, truly incredible product. And it's at such an approachable price point. So we had a group of 25 women that we regularly worked with in the fitness world. Um, they were our, you know, similar to the Martha Stewart Contributor Network I mentioned. They were regular content creators and product ambassadors. They were anything from yoga instructors to bar, Pilates, and strength training, and they, they brought the product to life. And we did a weekly Facebook Live with them, which was amazing. And they could teach our audience how to put the Gaian product to use in their everyday fitness practice, Mm -hmm. which was, of course, so authentic because it was what they do for a living. And it was just such great added value to the customer because they're getting, you know, these mini workout tips for all the products that they're buying. So that was another one that we were really proud of. That sounds incredible. Guyam actually was probably when I launched my agency, one of my first clients. Yes. Um, yep. I, I, I'm not going to go into the details, but definitely my, one of my first five clients. How do you measure success of a campaign? Very different. As you said, you're not looking at the sale. What is your ROI? Well, again, definitely depends on the brand and a campaign, but I think that generally speaking, it's, sales are the goal, and maybe it's not the actual dollar amount, but if it's a campaign where we're driving to a third-party retail, we would um, attribute success to the volume of traffic we drove. Mm-hmm. For the brands we do have direct-to-consumer, so that's Healy's, Joe's Jeans, DBS. Mm-hmm. For Healy's, we have um, a campus ambassador program with super active um, college kids on, um, you know, I think it's up to 40 campuses across the country and they're out there with their friends posting constantly doing tricks on the Heelys and creating content for us and they also are it's it's almost like an affiliate program they have they get um they have the incentive to sell shoes um Mm -hmm. and get a portion of that um I don't really know how the particulars of the affiliate part work but we work with our licensee BBC to select and create guidelines for these influencers and that's uh, these ambassadors, excuse me. And that's definitely, you know, something where the success and the the deciding factor for new ambassadors is chosen based on sales. But social growth is, growth is definitely a secondary performance metric for us, especially for a brand like Caribbean Joe. That was a brand we didn't even have any presence on social from for until this past summer, because it had historically been targeted at, at a little bit of an older consumer. And now we're um, we're in a lot of categories and kids and younger women clothing. So we've done a number of campaigns from an influencer perspective to grow that not only audience following, but engagement with the existing audience we have on social. So sales and then social, our, our growth and engagement are really how we measure the success. Cool. I mean, it's funny that you say that about affiliate for, and I know that, you know, with college influencers, definitely different model or how the mechanics work is slightly different, but for years, you know, we were very about, you know, pay for play. We need to, you know, only work with influencers that we want to pay because we know that they deserve to be paid, but we've had a lot of people raising their hands saying, can you launch an influencer affiliate platform? So we did do that. And it's amazing. Like there's a lot of influencers out there that, 
are interested in affiliate, are interested in just driving that sale, um, whether they're smaller and they're just starting out or they're bigger influencers who just have an affinity for the brand. So that's very interesting. Thank you. We do that for, um, I actually have a four o'clock meeting with a potential partner for affiliate, but I think it's a great way to get the brand and the influencers to have a skin in the game and know that the better they do, you know, with supporting the product on a continual basis, um, the more value they're going to get from it. Um, we, we have an affiliate program for Avia, which is our running brand over on the active side that I worked on a couple of years ago. And um, we got a lot of influencers interested in um, a non-paid content partnership that was made profitable through the affiliate program. So I definitely think there's a lot of interest out there from people. Yeah, and then how do you do it? Because traditionally, like those affiliates, you didn't get products. So what are they, what are they sharing? Or are you sending them? What product? are they sharing? Like on their social, are you well, sending? I actually, yeah. I actually don't. I don't work on the Avia oh, okay. um, brand anymore. Stay tuned for future conversations with the potential partner I have at four o'clock. <laughs> we're trying to figure out a great something to do for Ellen Tracy with it. Okay, perfect. I could fill you in on what we're doing too. Do you, I guess, you know, in all this, we just talked about affiliates. So it kind of, you know, has influencer marketing in your experience and these, you know, with Ellen Tracy, has it replaced any um, other marketing efforts that you're doing? I'm not sure if replaced would be the right word or more um, uh, gotten a more significant level of priority. Um, I think it's really important to integrate as many verticals of marketing as the budget allows into your mm -hmm. brand strategy. But that being said, we've definitely shifted a couple of our brands in the last year to two from having a larger spokesperson spend where they're part of a campaign shoot. They have a, you know, a couple of requirements as far as social posts and appearances to being more in a model of regular influencer content creation and, um, you know, communication because with the spokespeople spend, they're, some of them are perfect for the brand and, and they're the right move. But for other brands, it's hard to stretch your mm -hmm. dollars as far once you've committed such a significant spend to something like a huge deal celebrity. And specifically with Alan Tracy, we feel that our consumer has responded really well to the relatable women that we've been working with in the influencer campaigns. It's just more her than you know the high-end fashion models that are gracing the covers of of you know Vogue and Vanity Fair um, that serve a wonderful purpose for for certain brands, but for a more mid-tier retail distribution, I think that um, having the relatability factor really has been something that has shifted in priorities for us over the last few years. Yeah, and I guess that is you know the whole thing about influencer marketing is the relatability. So. So I know you have a meeting soon and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but my last question, which I always ask is name an influencer that you love to follow, but hate to admit that you do. And I'm going to think it's someone within the wine industry, but I'm guessing. Oh, I love <laughs> this question. And I'm surprised that it's not necessarily in wine, but okay. I would say that there's nobody that I wouldn't want to admit to following because I think that everybody, everybody I follow, I either A, like them, love them, or B, have to follow them for work. So I'm going to say I love them. Okay. So um, I, but I have two favorites. One is Serena Wolf. Um, she has a blog called Domesticate Me and she has, I love to cook pretty mm -hmm. healthy and she has like healthy, fun re recipes, but she's always drinking wine while she's doing it. So you were right <laughs> about the wine. 
Okay. <laughs> and she's funny and she has like great skincare recommendations and has like amazing style. And the second is Melissa Wood Health. And she was actually an influencer that I onboarded to the Gaian program years ago. And now I even subscribe and pay for her like at-home Pilates fusion workouts. Um, they're only $9 a month. Everybody should check them out. And she's such good fashion and like her apartment's amazing. Um, and her workouts are just the perfect for on-the-go fitness. So those are my two favorites. Well, thank you. I'm definitely going to check them out. Um, I'm not sure if I do so much Pilates, but cooking for sure I will. Um, but thank you, yeah, Lauren. It was well. a pleasure, pleasure to chat with you and, uh, you know, wishing you all the best and hope to see you soon. Thanks so much, Sherry. It was great being on. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Beyond the Box, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Beyond the Box is brought to you by Babblebox with your host, Sherry Langbert. Visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets.